My name is Heather, Heather Coxon, and I'm the environmental, the Territorial Environmental Officer. Started my work in October last year, and the remit is just to really drive the Care for Creation mission that we have. And I love my dog. So, thank you for coming, and I hope that because you're here, you're, you're actually also very enthusiastic about this subject. You will know our vision and our mission, the five marks of mission. Somebody actually suggested these should be in a circle because they all kind of drive into each other and they're all overlap. Um, so for example, to share the good news, you think uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The word world is actually translated as cosmos, which means the whole created universe. And we often read that verse thinking it's only to do with people. But God so loved the whole world that he gave his son. To serve others without discrimination, climate change is affecting every part of society. And we need to be aware of that and to be able to mitigate and work with people to um, help them, through, especially the most vulnerable, to help them through this period. Nurture disciples of Jesus. If God loves the world, then so should we. What does that look like? That needs to be part of our discipleship. And then obviously care for creation. And then a big one, I think, is seeking justice and reconciliation because this is a justice issue. It's a big justice issue, which we'll look at in a minute. Did you know that snowdrops used to be called snow piercers? And as they come out and flower, so bumblebees come out of hibernation and feed on the nectar in snowdrops. Isn't that fantastic? Mm -hmm. um, and then come the primroses and the brimstone butterflies come out, they, they emerge from their cocoon to feed on the primroses. So everything is actually in beautiful balance in creation and the ecosystems work together um, to create health and vi vibrancy. However, in the spring in this country, blue tits uh, feed their chicks with caterpillars that grow on oak trees and because of climate warming, climate change, global warming, the caterpillars are not coming out at the same time as the chicks need feeding. So blue tit chicks are dying of hunger in some areas. Now I grew up in Kenya and the main staple crop in Kenya is maize. And for decades in Kenya, farmers would know almost to the day when they plant their seeds. They knew exactly when the rains would come, when they could start their crops. Now, just like here, the climate is all over the place. And they might, they, they usually wait till the first short rain, then they plant their seeds. That rain might come, and then they search the skies. And there's nothing, nothing that comes. And their whole crop is devastated. It's gone. And they don't have insurance. They don't have a backup. That is it. And uh, they, um, the Horn of Africa now, whereas normally there is one drought every four years, now they've had four consecutive years of drought. And people are dying of hunger. <coughs> This is a very simplistic diagram of what's happening. It, and it's actually very complex, but this is just showing it simply. So 
you probably already know this, the sun shines and comes onto the earth and then some of those rays escape and they go back into the, the space, into space, but some of those are reflected back onto the earth. And this has created a perfect living environment for us. But what's happened, especially since the industrial age, is that that layer, that yellow layer, has grown thicker and thicker, which means that the, the rays can't escape anymore, or they're, they're a lot less, and the earth is getting warmer. So the ice caps are melting, you know the story. Um, and with this, show your stripes, you get an idea of how, how bad it's getting. How bad it is. Sorry, can I just ask, how did it get so thick? Because of the carbon dioxide, methane, all the gases from intensive farming and industry. Um, we've, we've developed into making more than we need. We've developed into creating for our greed which has meant that we're, we're pushing out these gases. And, um, yeah, that's really say so if it was done in moderation, we wouldn't be having this problem. Exactly. And moderation is the right word. Um, so, the burning of fossil fuels, the high-intensity agriculture, deforestation, melting ice caps, all add to the thickness of that blanket. And so what we're seeing is unprecedented weather patterns, droughts, fires, and floods. And this year in the UK, we are expecting the hottest summer yet on record. Now we might think that's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good, it's not good, but oh, yeah, it's not good. But those countries where it's already hot, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, you've had the floods in Pakistan, mm -hmm. yeah. where so many people lost their lives and their livelihoods. You imagine a third of your country going underwater. Mm -hmm. It's horrific. And those who have, who are most vulnerable, and have the least capacity to cope, are the ones at greatest risk, which is why it's a justice issue. But interestingly, the biggest casualty in warming is food production. So you know we're running out of tomatoes, apparently. Well, you know there was a scarcity in the supermarkets for tomatoes because of global warming. And that is only going to get worse. Um, we, in this country, if the temperature rises a little bit, our productivity might actually go up. Apparently, we're starting to grow vineyards very successfully because the weather is warming, which those who drink wine are very happy about. <laughs> but when we rely on other countries for our tomatoes, um, and so many, you think about the food that you eat, how much of that is actually grown here and how much comes from other countries? <clears throat> um, so crops will fail in other countries. And, uh, whoops, sorry. And I think it was, who was it yesterday, was talking about scarcity, was it? Um, it was this morning. Yeah, it was this, this morning, yeah. yeah. Grinner. Grinner, that's right. 
And he was absolutely right, because where there is scarcity, particularly of food, there there is conflict, because people become desperate, and people will migrate, and people will, the, those who are rich, those who are, um, have the capacity, start to blame, and they point the finger, and because they don't feel it, they don't see um, the issue, they don't feel the issue, and so they assume that other people are doing something wrong, and so there is tension, and if temperatures continue to rise, we could see more conflict, global conflict. It, in fact, it's very likely. And what we're experiencing with Ukraine, with a food crisis, energy crisis, is just a dry run of what is to come. What is to come. Whatever we do now, um, it, whatever we do now, our temperatures are still going to rise. It's like stopping a ship. If you want to stop a ship, you don't put the anchor down or however you, however you stop a ship and it stops straight away. It takes a few miles for it to actually stop. So if we were coming up to a cliff edge, we're already over it. We're, we're five past midnight already. We're in that space and it's, it's, it's not a, a pretty place to be. Um, but, you know, for millions of people who have already lost their livelihoods and their lives, that cliff edge is already over. The tipping point is already gone. So what do we do? This is, this is quite dark, isn't it? What do we do? Can we do anything? I love this quote. Together, we jolly well can do something. We're not on our own. So, what do you think, if we just look at the UK and Ireland territory, where do you think most of our emissions come from? Just from the Salvation Army? Have a guess. Food. So I'm thinking energy. Energy. Yeah, sorry. Uh, heating of buildings. You've got it. Absolutely right. You've got it. You've answered both my questions in one. <laughs> <laughs> so these are. This is our starting point. So there's been a, a work done by a guy called Brian Trodin. He works for the property department. And he's looked at all our property, all our estates, and said, this is where we're at now. And you'll see the gas, which is the heating, is the highest um, source of emissions. Then electricity, and then, surprisingly, mailbox printing. All our Christmas stuff that goes out, you know, and it's, it's a huge footprint. But we are apparently trying to address that. Um, I think we're looking at trying to reduce that, but that's, uh, that's on the agenda. But that was quite a shock, quite a shock for me. And where are these coming from? Most is from the core, heating our core. 
then life houses and care homes, I suppose because you've got heating on most of the time, you've got energy going. Interestingly, quite large for the training college, but again, I suppose people are living there. That's where, you know, they, they are. So Hadley, Strawberry Fields, yeah, office space. Quite surprising that the, oh no, where, sorry, retired officers' quarters, where are the quarters? Uh, it's a grey slice. Yeah, retired officers' quarters. Oh, where are active quarters? officers' quarters? Yeah, good question. Does that count as core? No, I don't think so. Mm. I'm used to ask that question of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, if we're going to address this, this is going to cost money. It's going to cost millions. But we have to address it. We can't not. It'll cost us more if we don't address it. <clears throat> um, but for some of it, we get, we get savings. And this isn't all in one go. This is going to be over a period of years, okay? So, with, I'm presuming, THQ money, with legacy from core, with finances, with grants, because there are a lot of grants out there in councils now, um, we need to do this. And at the present, what's happening, going through boards, is a proposal that we have a net zero target. Um, the proposal is by 2040. But that might get pushed back, so don't quote me on that one. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> um, but you'll see, so for the first two, low carbon fleets and low carbon heating, um, there's not a comeback on the money. This counts towards our net zero, but we don't get a saving, apart from officers who might have electric cars and they don't have to spend so much on the fuel. But actually the cost to the army is quite huge. However, look at LED lighting. Fairly simple fix, costing quite a low amount, but a huge return. Uh, heat control, so that's when you, you know, when you switch your heating on in your hall, not every single room is heated, but you control where the heating goes, and that actually saves an awful lot. Solar insulation, and then offsetting. What they're looking at is possibly having the offsetting for the um, the mail, the mailing, mail drop thing. Okay, so this is a. If any of you are graphic designers, we could do with a Salvation Army hall with a cafe and a charity shop. So if you know of anyone who could do that diagram, I'd be so grateful. This is a church. Um, but it gives an idea of what we could do in our core. Um, do you have grounds? You could have a vegetable garden for the community, um, bike racks to encourage people to come by bike. Um, it's got solar panels and a heat pump, but you've got to remember that if you're going to have these uh, green energy providers, your hall needs to be energy tight. So there needs to be insulation, there needs to be double glazing, the gaps around the doors need to be sealed because otherwise you get all the heat coming in and it will escape. So um, that's the first job. Make sure that your core is, is energy efficient and then you can put the, uh, 
the, the green energy on there. And no core would have everything. This is just an example of what, what, what can happen. And here are some quick wins. Um, low cost, no cost, you know, match your heating to the time that you're using it. And in fact, switch it off maybe half an hour before everybody leaves the building because you've still got the latent heat going into the building. Do a footprint calculation for your call. Do it once a year and share the results with your congregation so that they can see if your emissions are going down. Encourage an environmental champion to drive the agenda. Now you've got three young people here from one call. You could all be environmental champions. Um, sorry, and you don't have to be young. <laughs> so Haley's a champion. Um, and, and I'm trying to get as many champions, just people who are interested in the environment. So we meet online once every three months, and there's a WhatsApp group which we exchange ideas and experiences on. If you're interested in becoming a champion, please put your email address and your phone number on there. And if everybody in this whole place became champions, that would be amazing. Um, Encourage people to turn things off. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when they've gone to the loo, if you haven't got these automatic lights, switch the lights off, switch the heating off. And then in the winter, we've learned how to do Teams and Zoom, haven't we, through through mm -hmm. pandemic. So let people stay at home and um, not heat the halls for a cool council meeting. And install a smart meter. Have you got smart meters at home? Yeah. Yeah, just gives you an idea of how much you're using for everything. Uh, like I said, maintain the building. So maintain the roof and the gutters, the windows, the heating pipes, and make sure it's all draft proof. Those are all low cost, aren't they? Um, and as lights fail, replace your lights with LED lighting. And this is quite an interesting slide. You might not be able to see all of it. But this is kind of your personal use of electricity in the home. So down this side is the hours of the day. So for example, you have your fridge on 24 hours, don't you? Um, and it costs that much. Um, the Wi-Fi router is also on all the time, but it costs a lot less. It's, it's a tiny cost. Central heating is the big one. Um, you go right up to the top, the kettle, coffee maker, microwave, all quite small electricity use. The iron and the electric hob. Oh, the iron, so that's that sort yeah. of. <laughs> I don't know. Good for you, so that's brilliant. But it's not all about carbon emissions, is it? It's much wider than that. Um, you might have seen on the news recently about sewage going into our water stream, waters, uh, our rivers, and our, um, our lakes. There is a water crisis. Uh, we are running out of water and the water is getting polluted. Biodiversity, I've asked somebody to come and speak on that in a minute. Um, air pollutants, poverty, overconsumption. We, we, we use more than we need. We, we need to be using just what we need and not overconsuming because we only have one planet. We don't have three. So, now, I've asked David Attenborough to come speak to us. Oh, <laughs> so. Excellent spare. <laughs> <laughs>
In my lifetime, wildlife in Britain and Ireland has seen devastating declines. The reality is that actually we're one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world. Nature underpins everything that makes our lives possible. The food we eat, the water we drink, the air we breathe. If we are to save what we have left, we must act now. Whether you're an individual, a community, a business leader, or a politician, we need hands-on deck. Everyone, everywhere can do something to help restore nature. Nature is yours, nature is everybody's. This starts and ends with us. Thanks, Heidi. But who can make the big differences? If you think about pandemic again, governments all around the world made that happen, didn't they? Made the lockdown, sorry, not pandemic, made the lockdown happen. Um, in 2015 in Paris, nations across the world pledged to keep, to cut global emissions and um, keep global warming to within a 1.5 degree temperature rise. These pledges have all been broken. And we have seen fossil fuels being invested in and Shell and BP and British Gas just this year have had profits that have gone through the roof. All this while people have tried to keep the heating off in freezing cold weather. There's been no turn down in emissions and each of our recent Prime Ministers has had a mantra of economic growth and development, a vision of more and better and bigger, an anathema to a world already groaning. One of the big hopes in Paris was that technology would save us. And Bill Gates actually had this vision of windmills on top of air, hot air balloons. I'm not, I can't imagine what that <laughs> would look like, but it hasn't happened. Um, and technology, if you think about green technology, the air, the water and the sun are all renewable and free. But harnessing those for energy costs an awful lot. It costs the metal, it costs minerals in our soil. It, it act, just making them is actually emitting more carbon. And the returns on a lot of these will only come in years and years to come. And then you've got, for example, the minerals being mined for electric car batteries, where there's, there's slavery, there's child abuse, um, None of this is very clean. And so we need to, we probably need these technologies, but we need to be aware of the costs of these technologies. And they are not going to save us. They are not going to be the answer. They're not the silver bullet. Um, but we have a bit of a problem. As human beings, we are hardwired to respond to risk. So right from early days, if you saw a snake, you would either run or you would kill it, okay? You would respond straight away. We are still hardwired to respond to risk. That's not changed, but the risk has changed. 
we don't perceive the risk of climate change. And so we don't do anything about it. When it doesn't seem like an imminent threat, we don't act. And in fact, the warmer weather here is something that we enjoy, so we're less, even less inclined to do anything about it. However, sadly, or maybe it's positive, we are starting to see and feel the effects of global warming in this country. And I'm sensing, especially within the last couple of years, that there is a groundswell, particularly with the young people, of interest of emergency about this whole subject. And that is a change I'm sensing coming. And young people are telling their parents that they've got to wake up to this as well, which is a good thing. Um, so we have to challenge our... So if we think the government have the power, they want their... They want votes, don't they? So the electorate in a democratic society is actually really powerful. And so if we, in the Salvation Army, in the work that we have in our communities, raise this issue, then there is some chance that that might, might um, be raised to the government and we see change. I'd like you to listen to something. Um, and you'll recognise it. This was recorded in Bristol in 2020 during lockdown. And I just want you to recall what this felt like. Remember it? You wake up in the morning and all you heard was the birds. No traffic, no airplanes. <laughs> For two years, we were restrained from our constant drive for growth, and the earth was able to breathe. For two years, we watched creation restore itself. The soil replenished itself. Wildlife wandered into villages. The air was clear of pollution and noise. We stopped. And we and something in ourselves found ourselves. We reconnected with life's values. We reconnected with our family. We discovered our neighbours. We enjoyed walking. Had I the heavens embroidered cloths, wrote William Yeats, enwrought with golden and silver light, the blue and the dim and the dark cloths of night and light and the half light. I would spread the cloths under your feet, but I being poor have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. 
For two years, we treaded softly. We knew we could do it. This is the final slides now, and this is a call for action. We all know about recycling, about switching the lights off, about not believing the tap running when you're brushing your teeth. But what can we do that actually makes a huge impact? And I think these are four things that do make a huge impact. First of all, our conduct. Think about fossil fuels. I think we're kind of addicted to fossil fuels. We're in a place where we can't do without them, but we need to try to do without them. So think about your energy in your home and your traveling. See if you can cut that down, cut it out. And food. Reduce the meat and dairy you have or eat, or cut them out altogether. I'm not advocating veganism. What I am saying is, if you are eating meat and dairy and eggs, make sure you know where it's coming from. Because the cheaper those things are, the more likely the animals or the chickens will be have been treated badly. There'll be battery farming. And um, that is not good. In fact, that just increases the um, emissions. So, and also just eat less. Eat less of the meat, if you like your meat. But if you can do without it, even better. Community. Strengthen the resilience in your community. Now, as food prices and energy prices go up, because we're depending on external countries, other countries, for our food and energy. So if we can develop a community where we have everything in that community that we need, that people don't need to walk or cycle more than 20 minutes outside their home to find everything they need, school, doctors, repair workshops, community wardrobes. We're already doing it in so many core. But to think about really building the resilience in your community, because one day, we may be forced into that position where we need to rely on our local resources. So why not start now? Eco-church. Have you all heard of eco-church? Yes. Apart from Hayley. <laughs> eco-church. Eco-church is brilliant. Um, eco-church is a free program which, if you sign up, if you sign your core up, um, it takes with the permission of your core leader. With the permission of your core leader, thank you. Sign the core up and it takes you through a survey and it looks at your land, it looks at your building, it looks at your worship and your teaching, your lifestyle and how you work with the community environmentally. And it takes you through awards, so bronze, silver and gold. At the moment, I'm looking to have 30% of all our calls signed up to Eco Church by the end of the year, and 30% of those to receive reached bronze award. And bronze is actually quite easy to reach. Um, we have just got our first silver award, uh, and but it, it's a lot harder to to reach. But get your get your core onto the program. It's a great resource, and there's loads and loads of resources in there as well, if you look at it online. Become an environmental champion. Hayley's an environmental champion, 
Um, it's about enthusiasts who who want to work together to build this groundswell of um, of action for the environment. And heard about the third. That's something I'm going to be explaining later on in in the in the conference. So I won't go into that now. And finally, campaign. So raise your voice, write to your MP, sign those petitions, and protest. Be that voice and a shout to the government. Do those four things and we might start to see some change. If we as communities joined up to show how we can live well, differently, using our local resources, sharing and caring for each other, reducing our waste, not using fossil fuels, cutting down on our meat intake, and as we do all of that, we challenge our places of work, our families, and yes, even our governments to do the same. There is hope that we will make a difference. God calls us to be stewards of what he has created. We have exhausted this beautiful earth, yet he is a God of restoration and hope. And together with him, we can still work towards a new heaven and a new earth and bring reconciliation between us, God, in creation. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? We've got five minutes of questions. What sort of things are the come under each each of the like bronze, silver and gold? Is there like a just a sort short little summary of if you go online it'll give you it, it shows you all the questions that you have to work through on the survey. And the best thing is that you do it as a core all together. So in my core in St Albans, I, I sent everybody in the core the questionnaire so that they see what we need to do as a core, um, but they also see how much we're already doing because it's quite encouraging to know that actually we are doing stuff. Um, but yeah, just have a little look at that, is it there?